Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Jesus, Messiah, come thou long expected. Jesus, joy to the world. In Christ alone, I mean, pretty good summary of the gospel right there in our singing this morning as we spent that time together. And then the choir singing Yahweh and uh, just expressing the whole gamut of God's truth and God's expressions in so many ways. I want us to come this morning to begin a new series. We've talked about this. I've delayed it several times through the book of Jude and through the armor that we looked at over the last uh, seven or eight weeks. But I, I really wanted to come to this during this season, during this Advent season, when we're thinking about the coming of our Lord. We're thinking about the birth of Christ and, and, and him come, God coming in the flesh and, and God coming as our Redeemer and as our Savior, coming to face the cross, Calvary, coming to, to face the, the paying the price of sin on our behalf. I mean, a, a tremendous, tremendous emphasis is, is on the birth of Christ, not because the birth was so uh, alone by, you know, in, in isolation, good by itself, but because of what it led to. I mean, it was great that Christ came. It was great that he was born in that manger. And, and a lot of times we spend a lot more time talking about the baby in the manger uh, and I think to the distraction of, of who that baby was and what that baby grew up and did. He didn't stay sweet little Jesus boy for 33 years. He became Christ the Savior. He became Jesus the man. And, and I think it's important that during the Advent season, while we want to recognize and think about the, the manger scene that's depicted here, and, and so beautifully so, while we, while we want to think about that, we want to think about that in context of who this baby was. And I think nobody does that better for us than the, the Apostle John in his gospel by that name, by his own name, John's gospel. John's gospel is different from the other gospels. As you know, if, if you've been in Sunday school for most of your life, or even if you've just been hanging around, you probably know there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and all four of those tell the story of Christ. All four of those have, have similarities and they have differences. But none is any more different than the Gospel of John. Matter of fact, so much, for, so, much so that when you hear categorizing of the, uh, of the different Gospels, You'll hear Matthew, Mark, and Luke called the synoptic gospels, and then you'll have the gospel of John set off aside. In some cases, and by some scholarship, almost as though, now the real gospels are the synoptic gospels, and John's just kind of something different we don't know what to do with. All right, through the years, John's gospel has been challenged, it's been criticized, it's been, uh, it's been benign uh, and belied in so many different ways. But the, the truth of the matter is, John's gospel sets forth for us the theological understanding of the coming of Christ. In, in Luke's gospel, you have the angelic vision that Mary gets, and, and Luke is kind of concentrating on Mary's experience with the angels, and how, how, or the angel, and how she hears that she is going to have a, a miraculous conception, a, a, a virginal conception, and a child would be born that would not have a human father, but would be literally called the son of God. And there in Luke's gospel, you have, you have that, that great first chapter that talks about all of that being told to her. And in the second chapter of Luke, you have the, the Christmas story, as we most of the time 
talk about, and that is the manger and the donkeys and the camels and the sheep and the goats and everything else is in the, in the manger. No room at the end and that sort of thing. Things that we typically think about during this time. Matthew's gospel is a little bit different in that the situation in Matthew's gospel is looked at a little less from Mary's perspective and more from Joseph's perspective. As a matter of fact, you have Mary who's engaged to Joseph and she discovers she's pregnant. And, 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 and in that society, that was much more uh, frowned upon than it is in our society today even. I mean, so much so that it didn't happen and you didn't talk about it if it did happen. You just kind of put things away and just forgot about them. But in Matthew's gospel, we're told that uh, Joseph is told by the angel, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife because she, is, she has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. The baby will be Jesus, will be the Savior. And so you have, you have Matthew and Luke uh, talking about this birth totally different. Then Mark, you have just kind of starting out with the ministry of Jesus, a lot like John does. But John's gospel is different in the sense that John, while he starts with the, the earthly ministry, with the adult life of Jesus in a very real sense of the word, he, he adds these first 18 verses to his story, to his gospel. He adds these, these first 18 verses have been called a, a prologue or, or a, sort of an introduction, if you will, to what he wants us to see. Now, the rest of his gospel is going to be built around seven miracles, seven signs, that point to who Christ is, and then several, uh, seven discourses that go along with those seven signs. And that's all John deals with. Matter of fact, if you just read the Gospel of John, you'd think Jesus was probably around for just a very short period of time because he just did seven miracles and he just did seven uh, uh, sermons or discourses. You go to the synoptic Gospels, which by the way, synoptic uh, simply means that which is forming a general summary or a synopsis. And so they're kind of trying to tell the historical story in a more historical basis. So that's why they're called. If you go to those, you realize there's a lot more going on than what John talks about. John zeroes in on seven things. The others talk about the totality and the breadth, the breadth of Christ's ministry and Christ's life, and Christ's birth, and talks about a lot more specific things, if you will. But with this prologue that John gives before launching into the earthly ministry of Christ, really starting when he is a man, when he is an adult, uh, the, the inclusion of this, this prologue just gives us this whole overriding view of what Jesus is, or what John is trying to do to tell us about Jesus. Remember, John is the only gospel writer that tells us why he's writing the gospel, why he's writing the book. And he, he makes an apology about it. If you go over toward the end of the book to, to the 20th chapter, verses 30 and 31, this is what John says. Just jot that down and look at it later. But in John 20, 30, and 31, he says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed. So when you take John's gospel and see other things in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you say, oh, wait a minute, John doesn't even talk. Maybe those didn't happen. No, John says, listen, there are a lot of things that happened that I'm not telling you about. I want you to understand that in this 30th verse of chapter 20, clearly. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But listen to verse 31. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. 
John says, here's why I'm writing these seven things. I, I'm, I'm kind of lasering in on these seven things so that you will see the beauty, the magnitude, the glory that this one Jesus of Nazareth, this one Jesus, the, the, the adopted son, if you will, of Joseph, this one Jesus really is the Christ. We live in a day where, quite honestly, Jesus and Christ are so used together uh, in the same breath almost that many people, if you ask them to be honest about it, think that, well, Jesus is his first name and Christ is his second, uh, you know, his last name. That must be his surname. No, no, his, his name following Jesus in his day would have been Jesus, son of Joseph, because that's who he lived with. That's who raised him. And that's how he would have been identified. Jesus Christ is not his first and last name. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. It's his authoritative title. And that's why John says here, I want you to know, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life in his name. Two words that we'll see throughout this gospel of John that are very important to John is the word life and the word light. Life and light. We'll see that even in the prologue, but you'll see it all the way through the Gospel of John because John is concerned that you see the light of who Christ is so that you may have the light, life, that he gives to you and he gives to all those who believe. John even went further in the 21st chapter, in verse 25, in talking about the, the scope and the, the, the broadness of, of Jesus' ministry. And he said there in John 21, 25, he said, there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. That's quite a statement. I mean, if, if you could think about all the books that have been written about Jesus for the last 2,000 years, and they are many, uh, I, I, I bought a brand new one just this week uh, that, well, I haven't even possessed it yet. Todd picked it up for me in, in Louisville. It's not in my hands yet, but I think I've got it. But it's called Salvation Accomplished by Him. And it's all about the atonement. It's all about salvation being accomplished by the Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And, and that one just came off the press. And there, there are thousands and thousands of books. You can, go to, you can fill a whole library with nothing but books about Jesus. But John says, if you really get down to it and write every detail and everything that he did and everything that he said in just those three, three and a half years of ministry, the whole world wouldn't be able to contain all the books that would be written about him. There is a... There is a selectivity in all four of the Gospels. It, it's the view of, of four different apostles, four different men. And, and they don't, I mean, to me this is a great uh, proof of the, of the inerrancy of Scripture and the, 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 the inspiration of Scripture in that they don't all say the same thing. You know, if they really wanted to just kind of pull the wool over our eyes, they would have all said, okay, now here's what we're going to say. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that teaching. Let's talk about this ministry and this miracle. And they would just carry it out. And, and you'd read all four of them. You'd say, well, these are all exactly the same thing. They, they would have been contrived. They were not contrived. It's much like if this afternoon, if you happen to be out on 27 somewhere and you're sitting at a traffic light and, and somewhere just in front of you, uh, there is an automobile accident, crashing and screeching of tires and, and metal being in, mingled and, and you know, all those kind of things, if I could make it graphic, you know. Uh, and, and, and you see that wreck happen. 
and I'm sitting at the other intersection, and I'm watching the same thing, and somebody else is over here, and they're watching the same thing, and, and somebody else is coming from the south side, and, and they're seeing all the, we're all seeing this same wreck take place at exactly the same time. And if the police pull us off separately and say, now, tell me what happened. Why, most of the time, we find out from eyewitness accounts of, all, of a number of things, most of the time, if you read those eyewitness accounts, you'll say, wait a minute, these people weren't looking at the same thing. They're different. I mean, there'll be, some, there'll be some similarities. The cars did collide. There was a lot of noise. You know, a lot of things happened. But, but there's, there's different details. One might say this one ran a red light. And one might say this other one was turning in front of him and, and, and made a dangerous situation. I mean, any number of, of varieties of, of descriptions could take place. And, and John and Matthew and Mark and Luke are all observing the same life, the same ministry, the same miracles, the same glory that is in Christ Jesus. And yet they all are seeing it from a little different perspective. But the key is they're all seeing it from a little different perspective under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are telling us exactly what the Spirit of God breathed into them to tell the world, to write for the world, so that we might understand this synopsis, this, uh, this, this general understanding of the historical life of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit led John to write a very theological, very detailed understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And that's important to understand. I want us to look at verse 1, just verse 1 today, in thinking about, in thinking about the, the incarnation, thinking about Advent, and thinking about Christmas. I do remember one thing that S. Lewis Johnson once said, uh, someone that had a great impact on me early on theologically in my teaching. Dr. S. Lewis Johnson made the statement, I, I credit this to somebody else on Wednesday night, and that's not who it should have been credited with. I checked my citation. But S. Lewis Johnson said that when you come to John's gospel, read it worshipfully. Read it as you're coming to worship. Read it with an understanding that, that, that God is at work in this book describing for us, demonstrating for us the, the truths of, of the incarnation, the truths of the coming of Christ so that we might believe in him. And, and you and I who are believers, you and I who are Christians need to be reminded over and over again that, that we come to believe in him and we continue to believe in him and we never quit believing in him in this life. And so it's good for us to be reminded of why we do believe in him also. Spurgeon said one time, he said, you know, evidently someone had criticized, I can't imagine criticizing Charles Spurgeon, but he had people in his church just like all preachers do. And I, I, somebody was obviously criticizing him that every Sunday, every single Sunday, he spoke of justification by faith alone. And, and, and he said, and, and he made the statement, he said, you ask me why I preach on justification by faith alone every week? It's because every week my people forget justification by faith alone. It's easy for us to forget things. It's easy for us to, to let things slip. And so we need to be reminded. And so I think John's gospel is going to be a great reminder to us about what God has done in Christ Jesus. Verse 1, John 1. In the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're going to read a few more verses just to get a context here. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. There's that word life again. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. There's the word light. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, or did not overpower it, or did not conquer it, because the light was powerful the light was true the light was complete and from God those first five verses we're only gonna look at one but I want you to see how John begins this in, in almost a beautifully poetic way in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God why did G, why did John not say in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Well, Jesus didn't become Jesus until he was born. You understand that? Hey, oh, he was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He was, the, he was, he was God, God all, all through history, all through eternity. But he didn't become named Jesus until Matt, uh, uh, Joseph and Mary were told to name him that, which means Joshua, which is uh, the uh, Joshua, which means he will save his people from their sins. I mean, that, his name has meaning. But he didn't become Jesus until he was born. But he's always been Je he's always been the Christ. He's always been the Son. He's always been with the Father, and he's always been been uh, co-equal with God. And he, he is God in a very real understanding of the word. Now that's a very con that's a, a verse that people struggle with continually. As a matter of fact, this whole prologue is is something that the new, that that scholars have dealt with, have struggled with for. For the first 300 years, they almost lived in this. The first 300 years of Christianity, this is about all they thought about. But here we have G John saying, in the beginning was the Word. I, I like what D.A. Carson said about this, and I'll just read this brief quote from him. He said this, the one who is coming is simply called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1.1. 1, 1. We might say it this way, and I like this. In the beginning was God's self-expression. For that's what a word is. A word is an expression. It's a, it's a speaking forth of, of who you are and what you're all about and what you want to say. So in the beginning was God's self-expression, and his self-expression was with God, that is, was God's own peer, and this self-expression was God, that is, God's own self. D.A. Carson. The idea of word here is the expressive nature of God and God expressing himself in totality in the world to which he has come. Another thing about this prologue that, that John does, he wants to introduce us to, uh, so that we might fully understand who this one Jesus is. Think about when you meet someone. When you, uh, for the first time, you're in a conversation and, and you meet somebody, the first thing you typically find out is what? Their name. You know, hi, I'm Bill. I'm Bill Haynes. That's always important. You get the name. You identify this physical nature with a name. And, and so he's making us known here that this name is the word. Later he'll make it known that the word is Jesus. But one of the main things is, what's your name? We might ask, what do you do? 
John's going to tell us through this gospel what he does. He, he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is the one who, who has authority over all things, nature and everything else. But the real thing he's telling us here in this prologue is, is what the third thing we usually find out about somebody. And, and, and if, you're, if you're new to Somerset, I guarantee you, you've been asked this question a thousand times. Where are you from? Where are you from? And, of course, with me, they'll say, now, Haynes, are you kin to those Haynes down in such and such a part of Pulaski County? Are you kin to those Haynes that work at the post office? Are you, you know, whatever. You know, they, they try to understand, well, where are you from? And when I say I'm from Alabama, they just give up. They know there's no hope <laughs> for, for them tying me with anybody. But the point is, John is, in this passage, wanting us to understand where he came from. Where he came from. I mean, this little baby born in this manger, it's very easy for us to get this idea that Jesus is just like any other baby. We've got some babies in here this morning. I could have you hold your baby up and tell us all about that baby. And I would say, oh, well, when, was, when, when did that baby come into existence? Well, that baby came into existence on whatever date the baby was born. And our understanding is that when a mother and a father produce a child, then that child is born and starts its beginning on its birth date. It's clear, it's understandable. But John wants us to be very clear on this. Jesus' beginning was not in that stable. Jesus' beginning was not in the manger story. But Jesus, Jesus came here from eternity past. He came here from heaven. He came here from, from that throne in glory where he now is taken on flesh and dwells among us. And, and so he wants us to understand that the John wants us to understand he's not some kind of detached observer just saying this is what he did and that's what he did. But he says, I want you to know his name. I want you to know what he does. And I want you to know where he's from. And he starts out with the name and where he's from. And later he'll tell us what he does what he accomplishes. I think that's why S. Lewis Johnson says you need to read this gospel worshipfully because every step of the way is to see a new dimension, a, a, a new side of the character and the glory and, and the majesty of Jesus Christ, Jesus who is the Christ. And so he says, I want you to see this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In that one verse, we learn three things about Jesus. And I just want to touch on them briefly, and we'll be done in this introductory message, this introductory Advent message. The first thing we learn from John 1.1 is that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. He doesn't have his beginning in the manger. He has always existed. In the beginning, that is when, when things started happening, when God started creating, Jesus was already there because he had been there in the past. Uh, that's something that's kind of hard for our minds to comprehend sometimes. But John wants us to understand that this person, Jesus, who is in flesh, walking on the earth, going to go to a cross, is eternal in his nature and completely eternal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's never been a time when He wasn't. Never been a time when He didn't exist. Never been a time 
when, when God had to look around and say, I, I need a son. That, that just didn't happen. He is co-equal with the Father, and he, he, is, he is a peer with the Father, and, and he is God. I, I wanted to put a little diagram up here today, and I, I, I couldn't find it in my files to, to throw up there, to scan and put up there. But it's, it's a great picture that kind of helps us sometimes maybe understand this. If you can just imagine your mind with me for a moment, uh, a triangle, you, you, you know what a triangle is, three points, three corners. And on each corner of the triangle, put the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit on those, on, at the three points, outside the triangle, on the three points, if you will. And then in the middle of the triangle, just right there in the middle, write God. Write God. And then running down each triangle side, for instance, you can write on the side there, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. And the Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Father. And the Father is not the Holy, uh, the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. And the Holy Spirit is not the Son. Okay, you got that? But then you can draw two line, three lines going in from the Father. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, hopefully I've sufficiently confused you. But that's exactly what happens. That's exactly the teaching of the Scripture. We don't understand it fully. We, we don't comprehend it completely. But it's what the teaching of the Scripture is. And, and we, cannot, we cannot deny it. We cannot look anywhere uh, to, to, to try to say, no, that can't be. Jesus is somehow a, a sub-person from God because John says he was in the beginning and he was with God and, and he was God, period. It's, it's settled right there. And the Trinity is settled, if, if, if no other place, but it's settled in hundreds of places right there in John 1.1. So we learn that our Lord Jesus is eternal. Second thing, in looking at that, diangle, that triangular uh, graph in your mind, we find out that the Lord Jesus is a person distinct from the Father and yet one with him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, he's distinct. He's not, there, there's a difference in his, in his manifestation. There's a difference in his being, but, but in his essence, he is the same. So we find out he's eternal. We find out he's distinct from the Father, but yet one with him. And thirdly, John says, we learn that the Lord Jesus Christ is very God. He is God. This one walking around, this one born in a manger, this one that we see healing and, and, and doing miracles and, and doing teachings, this man on earth is God in the flesh. And that's really what this season it's all about that God took on flesh. God took on flesh and, and he lived among us. John's going to deal with that clearly in the, in the next section. He's going to say he, he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. Literally, he pitched his tent among us that he might be able to identify with us that he might be able to see the struggles that we have and understand those, that he might be tempted in the same way that we are tempted and yet without sin. 
And by living that way, he might fulfill the law. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to fulfill it in such a way that I can obey it and my obedience can be imputed to your life so my righteousness can be imputed to you and you might be able to see, even though you can't live perfectly under the law of God, I did on your behalf. And when you trust me, my fulfillment of the law becomes your fulfillment of the law even though you blow it a thousand times from Sunday. That's important to understand. And were he not God, were he not very God, were he not there in the beginning with God, and were he not God, he could not do that. Those sacrificial lambs that had been offered for generation after generation after generation on the Day of Atonement, they, they symbolically pointed to what Christ would ultimately do on the cross, but they were not efficacious for the taking away of sin. They were not efficacious for dealing with the sin nature. They were not able to make a new creature. They were not able to do anything but be symbolic of that which was yet to come. And by looking to that and believing in that, there was a, there was a forgiveness and there was a cleansing, albeit temporal. But when the word came, when the word came to dwell among us, when the word came to show us the Father, when the word came to, came to show us God, all of a sudden things changed. In the Advent candle this morning, uh, the Pierces read the passage from Jeremiah uh, that talks about the new covenant that I make with my people. I will write my law upon their hearts. I'll write my law upon their minds. I will, I will change them from within. I will, give them the, I will give them the gospel, if you will, so that the gospel might empower their living. The new covenant in his blood. When the word comes, we, we understand the spoken nature of God is clearly revealed. And we see God in a way that the old covenant could never show us, could never reveal it. And yet we are the beneficiaries of it. We who by his grace have believed. We who by his grace have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are... We are the beneficiaries of the word being spoken, the word coming to dwell, the self-expression of God being among us and ultimately going to the cross in our place. John is going to tell us much about this word. God is, uh, John is going to, to show us what God is doing in Christ in a way that is shown in the synoptic gospels, no doubt. It's shown there, but it's really, it's really exposed in its fullness in John's gospel. Because while Matthew, Mark, and Luke are historians primarily, they're, they, they teach us spiritual truth, they teach us theological truth, but primarily their job, their desire is to show us what he did and when he did it and, and to write for us a history. John's purpose is to say, oh, here's all he did, here's the history, but the, history, uh, but, but the truth is far greater than the history. Here is the truth of God our Savior. Tells us who he is, what his name is, where he came from, and what he does. We would be so deficient in this Advent season if we just think about a little baby. We'd be so deficient if our whole concept of Christmas is just, oh, that little baby lying in a manger, oh, how cute, oh, how sweet. The world can accept that. 
but only by grace and only by the light shining that John's going to talk about, the light in Jesus shining, can we believe that that one who is in the manger is also mighty God. That one who is in the manger is the Savior, the Redeemer. He's the one that will bring atonement for sin. He's the one that will go to a cross, not because wicked men plotted and, and thwarted the purpose of God, but because wicked men plotted and carried out the purpose of God on the cross, even through their sin. Peter tells us that in the sermon Pentecost. Jesus was not defeated. Jesus was not thwarted. Jesus' plan and purpose was not short-circuited in any way. Because when he hung on that cross, he said, it is finished. His purpose in saying that was, it is finished because I have done what the Father sent me to do. I brought about redemption. I brought about atonement. I brought about the forgiveness of sin to all who believe. My purpose is finished. My task is accomplished. It is done. And for that, we are to rejoice this Christmas season, this Advent season, knowing that he who came came that we might live knowing that John says I write these things that you may believe in the that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name John 10:10 10, 10 tells us that that he came he came to show us life abundant I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly meaningfully as the, the, the Sunday school lessons more was talking about, contentedly, knowing that it's not Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus and me trying harder. It's not Jesus and me, you know, getting it right. It's Jesus alone, Christ alone, who bore my sin. And, and as one writer has said in a recent book, in the title of the book, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's what John wants us to see. He wants to see the glory of Christ doing the work of redemption by his own grace and by his own power. I hope when you think about Merry Christmas, you'll do it as I saw somebody writing yesterday. You'll think of it this way. You'll think of it Merry capital C, capital H, capital I, capital R, capital S, capital T. Mary, Christ, then little letters, M-A-S, mess. Christ is the center of this celebration. Christ coming is the reason that we celebrate. Christ coming is to bring light and to bring life. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you inspired John to show us that Jesus is eternal. That he is distinct from the Father, but yet one with the Father. And that he is very God. 
He is the one who won our redemption. He is the one who, who on whose merit we depend. Lord, my merit is like filthy rags. My merit has no merit at all. And neither do the saints or the apostles or anybody else. Lord, they all were sinners just like I am. The only merit that merits for me to be made right with God is the merit of Christ fulfilling the law and going to the cross in my place as my substitute, as my atoning sacrifice. Father, show us that this Christmas season. Show us Jesus all over again as the Christ, the Son of God. Thank you, Father. For this we pray in Jesus' name.